Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. What follows are three interviews from early April 2014, where I discuss the ongoing investigation into the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight MH370. In the first interview, broadcast by National Public Radio on the 8th of April 2014, I discussed some of the general issues leading up to the search for the aircraft. At the time of the interview, Australian authorities were actively searching for the black boxes in the bottom of the Indian Ocean. We have a report this morning on that Malaysia Airlines plane that sticks just to the facts. We're peeling away the speculation and going back to what we actually know. One thing we do know is some pings have been detected from the middle of the Indian Ocean around where investigators believe the Boeing 777 went down. We don't know if those pings are coming from the plane's black boxes. That's the latest on the story. NPR's Jeff Brumfield takes us back to the beginning. Just after 12.30 in the morning on March 8th, Flight 370 to Beijing took off from Kuala Lumpur. There were 239 people on board. In the cockpit was a veteran pilot and his experienced first officer. It was just another red-eye flight. Approach control, or what they call Lumpur approach, talked with them until they reached a roughly 18,000 feet in altitude. That's Todd Curtis, a former Boeing safety engineer who now runs a website called airsafe.com. There is a down-to-the-second transcript of all the pilots' communications with air traffic control. So they go into 18,000 feet and above. That would take them out over the water toward Vietnam. It looks perfectly normal. That's Bill Waldock. I'm a professor of safety science at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona. The plane climbed to 35,000 feet. It cruised for 20 minutes or so until it reached the edge of Malaysian airspace. About 119 that night, all the things that are under investigation right now started to happen. Malaysian air traffic control makes the routine call. You're leaving our airspace. Contact the Vietnamese. Someone on the plane responds, good night, Malaysian 370. That's the last anybody talks to the airplane and the last time any of the transponder communications occur. The transponder is a radio beacon that tells controllers where the plane is, but it stopped signaling. Vietnamese controllers never heard from Flight 370, but radar scanning the area saw something. The aircraft made a turn toward the west. About a 150-degree left turn. Uh, which takes them back over Malaysia, the Malaysian Peninsula. The entire investigation hinges on why the plane made that turn. There are a lot of theories out there. Maybe the most popular is some kind of mechanical failure aboard, a fire that destroyed communications and incapacitated the crew. But Bill Waldock says there are some facts about the airplane itself that need to be taken into account. The 777 uh, has been a very safe aircraft. It's only had... Uh, Two crashes. Neither occurring while the plane was cruising, and one was pilot error. It's worth noting as well that this plane is well protected against fires. You have both fire detection and suppression in both cargo holds and down in the electronics bay. And Todd Curtis, who actually helped design some of the 777 safety features, says that all the plane's communications would be unlikely to lose power at once. You can have some fairly serious system issues in the aircraft that may take down multiple power sources. But there's still ways that the aircraft can be configured to keep essential systems up and running. These facts are why neither Waldock nor Curtis nor the official investigators believe the turn itself was accidental. It was deliberate. Somebody in the cockpit was in control. They made that turn. Whether that was done for a very good reason, for example, the crew might have been trying to divert to an alternative airport, 
or whether it was done for another reason, someone was trying to commandeer the aircraft. There's no evidence one way or the other. After the turn, things get even hazier. Some reports say the plane was flying too high, others that it was following a standard route. All this seems to be based primarily on data from military radar. That radar doesn't give clear altitude and speed readings, and nations don't publicly share information from military radar, so it's hard to know what they saw. But we do know the plane eventually turned again. A satellite signal sent once every hour showed it went south into the vast Indian Ocean. The plane sent a total of seven signals, none of which gave a precise location. The last one arrived at 8.11 a.m., seven and a half hours after it took off. The flight probably ended uh, when they ran out of fuel. Bill Waldock says there is one final fact about this airplane. It had eight life rafts, and each one had an emergency beacon capable of sending GPS coordinates to a satellite. If those rafts had inflated, the beacons would have switched on. We know that didn't happen, so none of the rafts were deployed. In other words, there were no survivors. Jeff Brumfield, NPR News. This next interview is an April 9, 2014 interview on Como Radio in Seattle where I discuss some of the issues in searching for the black boxes in the bottom of the Indian Ocean. Australian searchers say they're hopeful the new pinger sounds they've been hearing might be from the black box of the missing Malaysian jetliner. CNN contributor Rob McCallum, an ocean search expert who's based here in Seattle, tells us the batteries likely have fewer than nine days left before they die. Even if the pingers died uh, right now, uh, we would still uh, be in the region, um, in fact the area, of uh, where the pinger signal might be coming from. And so we, we think we're fairly confident that uh, we're getting closer to the, the wreckage field. He says it's possible the sounds the searchers have heard are not from the black boxes, but he's optimistic. As we continue on the story and the searchers chase those phantom pings, uh, we've got Todd Curtis of airsafe.com on the Como Newsline. Always good to hear from you, Todd. What do you think? Have you heard any more and what might indicate that these are indeed the real pings that they've been looking for? Well, the Australian authorities are rather conservative in their assessment of what the signals mean, but the fact that they had a second pair of signals picked up a few days after the first is a very good sign and probably indicative that they are in the rough vicinity of where these uh, black boxes are. Todd, if the black boxes are recovered, and I know they're made here in the Northwest and they're resilient, but given so much time in that deep water, could they still reveal clues that you and other investigators would be looking for? Quite possibly. And I looked uh, as an example to what happened five years ago with the Air France jet. Uh, those black boxes were on the ocean floor for roughly two years. When they were recovered, the authorities were able to get uh, very good information off of them, and they didn't seem to be affected by the fact that they were underwater for that period of time. They are, after all, rather heavily protected. Uh, I don't know black box is a, is a misnomer. They're actually orange or other kind of uh, fluorescent color. But once recovered, there are actually two different recordings, basically, like there's, it talks about the aircraft and what it was doing, the engines and the attitude and everything. And then also we'll get recordings of what the crew was saying? That's correct. But it's uh, very likely the cockpit voice recorder will, won't have anything useful for most of the flight. It's on a two-hour continuous loop. So basically, it'll be the last two hours of the flight. So the things that happened at the beginning, especially when the aircraft diverted from its planned course, won't be on the CBR. Interesting, because it could have been flying for another couple of hours after that. Uh, that's correct. And, uh, and this is something I've uh, mentioned a few times before to, uh, to others. 
possibly the only thing on that aircraft that would have recorded anything from the early part of the flight would have been the passenger electronics. If someone had taken a picture or a video or what have you, it may show nothing. It may show something, but about the only thing that's on that aircraft that could have recorded the early part of the flight is in the cabin, not in the cockpit. Very interesting. Well, hopefully they are on to something. We'll continue to monitor, and we'll stay in touch with Todd Curtis. He's with airsafe.com, a fascinating website that follows not only this, but certainly other uh, aircraft-involved incidents and so on. The third and final interview is also from the 9th of April, 2014, with CTV of Canada, where I discuss the ongoing search for the black boxes from flight MH370. In other news, the frustrating month-long search now for missing Malaysian airline flight 370 received a tremendous boost today. This when a Navy ship detected two more signals. Now, searchers are hoping these pings are in fact coming from the missing aircraft's black boxes, and an Australian official coordinating the search is expressing hope that the wreckage may perhaps soon be found. Joining us right now with more from Boston is aviation safety analyst Todd Curtis. Todd, what do you make of these new pings? Uh, is it likely then that they are at least in the right search area? Yeah, I think it's quite likely. Given the analysis that was shared by uh, Air Marshal uh, Houston uh, earlier today, it seems that the experts who are responsible for analyzing these, these signals are very confident that even though the frequency isn't exactly the same frequency as broadcast, that the physics of the ocean uh, has an effect on the signals that's consistent with what they received. The pinging is now also, it seems, fainter. Does that also lead to more you know, evidence that, it, again, these are the black boxes because the batteries are dying? Well, this is consistent with the behavior of the batteries. The uh, manufacturer of the batteries was quoted earlier today as saying that they expected that it would last uh, roughly 35 days or so. So it's near the end of the estimated battery life. It does make sense that this is a system that is not designed to just uh, go from 100% to zero, but to fade gradually over time. So a weaker signal is consistent with that behavior. But if this is the right location, still there's that question, if that plane went down, is underwater, where is this debris field? Well, it depends uh, largely on how the aircraft went into the water. If the aircraft were to enter in a classic ditching configuration, that is, where they're maximizing the chance that the aircraft stays intact, you could have a relatively small debris field. On the other hand, if the aircraft uh, went into the water out of control, there is no telling how the debris field may have been spread around. Even if they get more confirmation that that plane is quite likely in this part of the, uh, the water, it is still possibly as deep as, you know, more than 4,000 meters. It's possible they may never retrieve it, right? Well, it's rather deep, but it's not deeper than has been, uh, uh, well, the depth is not so great that you can't get equipment down there. There has been equipment, including yeah. rather recently from the movie director uh, uh, James Cameron, equipment that can get to the very bottom, the lowest levels of the ocean. And the level where this aircraft is uh, suspected to be is nowhere near that low. So technologically, it's feasible. I think it's more of a question of economic feasibility. How willing are the search partners uh, willing to spend, how much are they willing to spend to get down there and get enough material to make this a full investigation? Yeah, that's a very good question and a good point, given how much uh, it, this has cost already. Todd Curtis, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. For more information, please visit mh370.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.